Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Thank you. I was waiting for somebody to say something. <laughs> All right. Um, wow. That whole service was kind of a tough act to follow. I want to talk this morning about the lion and the lamb. Uh, in the Bible, we have two pictures of Jesus Christ. The lamb that was slain and the lion of the tribe of Judah. So what I want to do this morning is I want to con contrast those two images, those two pictures of the Lord that we find in Scripture and talk about how that might apply to our lives as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as the lamb that was slain, Jesus sacrificed his life for us. He died in our place so that our sins would be forgiven and we could experience eternity with God. As the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus is a mighty warrior with a two-edged sword in his mouth who will return to defeat his enemies and establish his kingdom here on earth. Two very different pictures of Christ, and I believe they both have an impact on the way we live our lives as believers. Uh, Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, says this in verse 9. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, who's him? And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now what is Paul saying there? I believe he's saying this. Believers, believers will willingly and joyfully bow their knee to Jesus and confess that he is Lord. Unbelievers will be confronted with a God they did not believe in, but will still have to bow their knee before Jesus and confess that he is Lord. Amen? Uh, I, I, you may have had opportunity to talk to people who aren't part of a church, or, and uh, maybe they're Christians, maybe they're not. And uh, many times I'll talk to people, and, and uh, they'll tell me they believe in God. But then when you talk with them further, they have their own concept of who God is. Uh, they, they create a God that fits into their belief system. In essence, they create a God in their own image. Unfortunately, I've seen Christians do this as well, either willfully or through ignorance. They create a God they're comfortable with, comfortable with one, does not, one that does not contradict the way they want to live their lives. However, the problem is that we, knew, that we do not get to change who God is. I don't care what we think, we don't get to change who God is. He's not fashioned in our image. Stephen Furtick said this. He said, Jesus always fulfills who he is, not what we think he should be. Jesus always fulfills who he is, not who or what you or I think he should be. And that's why I believe it's so important we have a clear understanding of Scripture because in the, in the Word of God, it tells us about who God is and it tells us about the ways of God so we have an understanding of how, how we are to live and walk as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus left us with a, 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 what I consider a pretty severe warning uh, in Matthew 21, verse 44. And he said this, 
And he who falls on this stone, and I believe that stone is Jesus Christ, and he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but, um, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Now, I've, Bible commentators, taters have all types of different looks at this verse, but here's kind of what I believe it's saying. Those who fall on the stone are those who stumble over Jesus. They find it difficult to believe perhaps in a virgin birth or believe that he can forgive sin or believe that he's God. And they, they fall or stumble like you're walking in, out in the woods and you stumble over a stone, you fall, you, you're, you hurt yourself, you're broken in some way. And so they, they stumble over uh, who Jesus is, but I believe they still have an opportunity to repent and be saved. Now, those on whom the stone falls are those who put themselves in opposition with Jesus Christ. They openly reject who Christ claims that he is, and the stone falls on them without vengeance and destroys them with no hope of recovering. That's a pretty strong warning right there. A very strong warning. We ought to take that into consideration. Um, for too long, man, I believe, has been under the delusion that he's in charge of his own destiny. Every man, every woman on this earth is going to face their day of reckoning. Every government leader, president, prime minister, supreme uh, leader, whatever they want to call themselves, is at some point uh, going to bow before the king of kings. So let's take a look for a moment at Jesus as the lamb that was slain. Israel, I think you know, was required by the Mosaic Law to sacrifice a lamb uh, 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 as an offering for their sins. And the lamb was sacrificed in their place so that they would not have to face the wrath of God for their sins. When Jesus came along, he presented himself as the lamb that was slain. John the Baptist testifies to this in John 1.29. He says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Revelator in uh, Revelations 5.12 says, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Isaiah gives us another picture of the Lamb that was slain. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, he says, He, Jesus, was despised. Remember, this, this is written hundreds of years before Christ came. He, he was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom, whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through, I believe a reference to the cross, he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. Or by his stripes, we are healed. Jesus, the lamb that was slain, was beaten, crushed, and broken for us. That we could enjoy eternal life. Now, I also believe that his suffering provided for us physical healing. That physical healing is part of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You may remember this story in Scripture on the night that Jesus was arrested. Peter, thinking he was doing the Lord a favor, put, pulled out his sword 
and cut off the ear of the slave of the high priest. Now, how Jesus responded to Peter, I think, is significant. Now, obviously, first, he healed the man's ear. Did he heal the man's ear, or did he pick the old ear up and put it on? Does anybody know? All right, well, in any case, he healed the man's ear. Um, and he says to Peter in Matthew 26, 53, Peter, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Jesus' life was not taken from him. He sacrificially, willingly gave his life for us, for the sake of humanity, that you and I could experience eternal life and have our sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Romans 5.8, Paul reaffirms that and it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved us in the middle of our sin, in the middle of our waywardness. He didn't wait until we got it right. He died for us anyway. The lamb that was slain, I believe, is a picture of God's unending love for mankind. It's a demonstration of how much God loves us, cares for us, and has a purpose and a plan for our lives. In the same way, I believe that we are called to sacrifice our lives for God and the blessings of others. In the other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16, it says this, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we, who's we? Us, ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We is us. That's good English right there. Not only did Jesus lay down his life that you and I could experience eternal life, but he also empowered us and, and called us to lay down our lives in a practical way for the benefit and the blessing of others. Pastor Tony said this in one of his sermons a while back. He said, Jesus did not die to give us a better life. He died to make us a new creation. I believe receiving Jesus Christ as the lamb that was slain will affect every area of our lives. And that's why it's so important we understand the image of Jesus as the lamb that was slain. Matthew 20, 28, it says this, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In the same way, I believe we are called to serve others and to serve God. Too often, however, we want to be served and get offended when we are overlooked and not served. Too, too often we get offended when we're not served and we're overlooked, at least in our own perception. But Jesus set an example for us. He was misunderstood. He was rejected, but he continued to serve mankind. As Jesus came to serve, I believe we're called to serve, regardless of what the personal sacrifices might be. Uh, we're called to love others with the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And perhaps that's why Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, do not lose heart in doing good, 
For in due time you will reap if you do not grow weary. Jesus sacrificed his life and he died for mankind. And God has called us to lay down our lives in the same way to die to ourselves and to serve his divine purposes. Amen? Now, let's take, take a moment and look at Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, a much different picture of the Lord. The lion of the tribe of Judah originates in the book of Genesis when Jacob is blessing his 12 sons. Uh, the 12 sons, Jacob's 12 sons will become the leaders of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so he's blessing Judah. And he says this in Genesis 49, 9. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The lion in Scripture and the world in general uh, is, is a symbol of strength and courage. The line of the tribe of Judah even takes on more significance in the person of Jesus Christ. In Romans 5, verse 1, it says this, I saw, in, I saw in the right hand of him, God, the Father, who sat on the throne, a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. Verse 4, then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look in it. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is of the tribe of Judah, Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. David and Solomon were both kings who ruled over Israel. They were both from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is also from the tribe of Judah and is the rightful heir to King David's throne and therefore the rightful king of the Jews. Going on in Revelations 19 and verse 11, we can, we can, the, uh, the scriptures begin to enlarge this picture of Jesus um, as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 11 says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judged and wages the war. Who's sitting on that white horse? Jesus. Verse 13, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. In contrast to his first coming as a baby born in a manger, Jesus is going to return on a white horse as King of Kings. And he will execute the wrath of God against those with unrepentant and unbelieving hearts. There is a very real God and a very real King. And our relationship with God is significant. Do not create a God that you're comfortable with. Find out who the real God is and follow Him. Verse 15 in Revelation 19. From His mouth comes a sharp sword so that He may strike down the nations and He will rule them with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think most of us know that there are powers and principalities that are at war with God and with the people of God. As warriors, however, I believe 
We must boldly stand for the truth of God's word and the testimony that God is alive today. We must, be, we must not be intimidated by the world, and we will not shrink back even in the middle of adversity. We serve a higher authority than any other authority on this earth. And there's, there, there, there's, there's nothing the world can do to us to change that reality. Particularly in this culture today where any, you say anything that contradicts their correctness or their view of the world, you are immediately pounced on. But we are mighty warriors in God's kingdom. And we will not fall back regardless of what the world or anybody else says about us. <clears throat> Perhaps that's why Paul and his counsel to his, his young protege, Timothy, says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. As warriors in God's kingdom, we must be more God-focused than self-focused. We live in a very self-focused culture. And it's easy to be self-focused. All you need to do is talk to my wife sometimes. I can be self-focused. Anybody else can be self-focused? Yeah? Okay. Well. <clears throat> One last word that Jesus spoke to his disciples is found in Matthew 28, verse 18. And he says, all authority... How much authority? All. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. I believe that go therefore is to go into the world with the same authority that Jesus Christ had. I believe we carry that kind of authority as warriors in God's kingdom. In fact, you see some of that in Matthew 10 verse 7 where God, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely you receive. Now I want you to freely give. I believe that challenge to the disciples then is the same challenge to us today. We're commissioned by the Lord to, be, to minister out of what he has already given to us. Do you believe that? Do you believe we carry that kind of authority? Isaiah 42, 13 says this, The Lord will go forth like a warrior. He will arouse his zeal like a man of war. He will utter a shout. Yes, he will raise a, a war cry. He will prevail against his enemies. And I believe as warriors of God in his kingdom, we also shall prevail. So again, looking at the lion and the lamb, the lamb willingly, as, as lambs, we willingly lay down our lives to serve God and bless others. We set aside our own agendas for the purposes of God. We're crucifying the flesh with its carnal desires in order to live godly lives. As the, as the lion, we're courageously fighting for hearts and souls of men, including our own hearts and souls. We're taking every vain and immoral ideology captive and bringing it into alignment with God's word. Amen. Amen. Who has the task to bring every vain and immoral ideology captive to God's word? We do. we do. And if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. Us, yes, us 
us, which is we. You started it, Lori. <clears throat> We're fighting courageously to destroy the works of the flesh and establish the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that we are called to be as gentle as a lamb, but as fierce as a lion. I do want to say this, though. <clears throat> I believe the lamb that was slain came before the lion of the tribe of Judah. As believers, we will only exercise the power of God to rule and reign in this life as seen in the image of the lion of Judah by first embracing the cross represented by the image of the lamb that was slain. We're only going to exercise the power of God to rule and reign in life as seen in the image of the lion of the tribe of Judah by first embracing the cross represented by the image of the lamb that was slain. Dominion and power came after the lamb that was slain. Revelations 5.12, we looked at earlier. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. <clears throat> we are never going to move in the power and authority of God if we do not first lay down our life before the Lord. Well, let me just step aside for a moment. I want to speak to our young people. I want to speak to our preteens, our teens, uh, young 20-somethings. Um, <clears throat> you are never going to walk in the authority that God has for you in this life if you have not first learned to walk under the authority of another. You, you can tell me all you want that you walk under the authority of Jesus Christ, but if it's not demonstrated in your relationships with others, like your elders or your parents or your teachers or your bosses, it's not a reality. It's just a dream. I've seen too many young people think they know better than their elders or their parents or their bosses and never embrace the work that God wants to do in them to bring about in them a yielded and broken heart. And it's only through this brokenness that you receive the power to reign in this life. Again, speaking to our young people, let me also say this. It is not about whether you're... Um, it is not about whether your elders, parents, bosses have it right or wrong. It's an issue of your heart before the Lord. He's more concerned with your heart than whether your parents have it right or wrong. Hello? In fact, you may have to lay down your right to be right. That's right. Now, uh, going on also to walk in the power of God, I believe we must remain properly connected to the head, which is Christ. Jesus says this in John 5.30. He says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not speak on my own, but the will of him who sent me. This is a very crucial verse. Jesus said, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. 
Why is his judgments just? His judgments that Jesus made were just before he, because he honored the Father's will above his own. He, his judgments were aligned with the heart of the Father. Now we make a lot of judgments every day about people and situations. We're constantly making judgments. We judge what happened. We, we judge other people. But the question is, are those judgments just? Our judgments will only be just if we seek his will, his perspective, above our will and our perspective. Otherwise, our judgments are filled with self-preservation and self-justification, and they are hardly just. Any young people want to say, amen, oh me? Anything? All right, let me just conclude with this. Very short conclusion. Many elements of the church today have diluted the gospel message to fit into the world. Uh, they've, in essence, bowed to the cultural pressures of our society. They have, in essence, I believe, restrained the, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah from fully expressing himself. Chris Fowlton says this, says the gospel was never meant to be fragile. It came in power and supernatural force. Christ did not die for our comfort. He died for our consecration. We, it's so important as believers that we do not hold back the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah that I believe is in every one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ. And God is looking for lambs that have been slain so he can raise up and release lions to boldly demonstrate the, the gospel, the message of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so it, it, I just would encourage you to take a, a hold of those two images of Christ. The lamb that was slain and the lion of the tribe of Judah and let it dramatically impact your life and the way you live your life before the Lord. Amen?